Hello, my name's Jerry Padfield and you're listening to my PhD cast. So hello and welcome to uh, PhD Casting. This is quarter five, October to December 2019. So you might remember from the last episode that I'd uh, kind of hit a a brick wall and I wasn't able to do much because of just burnout, basically. Uh, And so I basically had a summer break. I had a good two or three weeks off of just decompressing from all the stuff that was going, going on in my head. Thankfully, I had some nice weather and I live by the sea, so I was able to go to the beach and just sort of hang out with my friends. It took a good few days, maybe a week, to actually just be able to not constantly be thinking about my PhD. And I think lesson learnt, really. Um, And if I can stress this to anybody who's thinking of starting a PhD, um, you know, really, you've got to look after your mental health first and foremost. And there will be constantly people offering you situations and really good situations and things which might lead to to positive things in the future but you just can't say yes to everything so you're going to have to limit yourself and your your supervisors your the people that you inevitably end up networking and meeting with during the course of a phd will be you know there'll be options and kind of opportunities all the time so i'm not to not to say no to everything but just think about what what is a realistic time commitment that you can give and at some points you will have to say no to some things so I returned back to university feeling kind of refreshed and you know and actually looking forward to getting back on with the work I'd done and realizing that I had done actually quite a lot of work so that was a positive thing to know that you know there was this I'd put quite a lot of work into everything I'd done and I'd set myself up pretty well uh, for the future uh, and so I kind of came back in October, saw my supervision team, met, you know, a few of the, the PhD cohort that I started with, um, you know, and I felt like I was in a, moving forward in the right direction. I'd given myself a good basis to start preparing the, the practice and what my actual PhD, you know, the, the kind of, I don't want to say the work as opposed to the theoretical or uh, kind of thinking aspect of it, because that's work too, but the kind of practical aspect of it was kind of uh, finding its feet. This is where I hit another of the problems which you might encounter during a PhD, which um, I'm going to drop a quote here by Douglas Adams. Uh, he said, um, who's the writer of Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy, amongst other things. Uh, he said, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound they make as they go by. And this is an aspect of a PhD which um, you're going to encounter as well if you're doing one and you're not some sort of weird robot that can uh, just constantly get on with work the thing about being a PhD is it is a self-directed project so you're in charge of your own deadlines Um, there's no one going to stand over you with a whip kind of or saying oh if you don't hand it in by such and such a date with so many words then you fail and you know do this 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 and you get marks for that and then you'll pass 
you make your own work. You decide what work you're going to do. You decide when you're going to do it by. Um, and sometimes you're deciding things which rely on other people, which and other people can't always be totally relied on or life gets in the way. It's inevitable. So they have to be flexible. Um, you know, when you're doing an undergraduate degree or something like that, the deadlines aren't flexible and that's necessary to force students to get their work in. But with a PhD, having a a kind of a set deadline that is just it's not it wouldn't even be helpful because um you'd constantly be failing basically so what they have is what you have to do instead is this kind of concept of backward mapping which you can google this idea it's it's a it's a very helpful idea if you can get your head around and you are struggling a bit with kind of uh, allocating your time to things so the backward mapping idea is you you look at the goal that you want to achieve so in this case that's a phd and then you backward map how you're going to get to that point so when you first look at um, the idea of doing a PhD it's this huge mountain with like and you have no idea how you're going to get there you do, a lot of the time you don't even realize what it involves to get there because there's this weird thing called a PhD that you've heard of but you don't really understand what that process is and so they have uh, milestones what they call milestones in a PhD and this is kind of a form of a uh, backward mapping so the first milestone we talked about uh, was the AFR, which I got through um, kind of towards the beginning of the PhD. The next milestone coming up is uh, confirmation of route, which is kind of in the back of my mind. This is in other universities, sometimes it's called uh, the PhD upgrade or the candidature confirmation or something like that. It's basically where they decide whether you're going to be a, your work has the quality and depth of a PhD and they're going to, going to allow you to finish your PhD and, um, and the funding will continue or whether you are going to be told that you your work isn't quite to that standard and you'll be offered the route to do an MPhil, so a master's, um, which is doesn't require the same amount of new knowledge that a PhD does. And then you kind of finish up in three or six months and, and get a master's and not away you go. Or whether they just say, sorry, you're not doing very well, goodbye. And that's not really a very likely situation because uh, if you've been talking to your supervision team, then they would have been giving you feedback and directing you and getting you to the point where that wouldn't be a possibility in the first place. So you'd have to really be kind of obstinate and um, uh, in a bad place for that to happen. Uh, even the mastering thing is not very likely. Um, yeah, so basically that's these are the milestones that they put in place. They're kind of checkpoints just to make sure that you are getting on with work because if if all you've got is that one goal at the end of the thesis hand-in and the viva, then there's there's no kind of route. So this just kind of gives you little milestones along the route to check in, see where you're at, see if you're getting to where you want to be. But you can also use this concept um, to break down the milestones themselves. So, or even any project, actually. So if you think, you know, I want to write 5,000 words by uh, December then you can backward map that and you can say, okay, so that means by November, I want to have uh, done all the literature reading that I need to do. By the end of November, I want to have written 2000 words and have the structure of my document ready. By the first week of December, I want to have sent a draft to somebody to read and give me some feedback. And so you set in place these little mini deadlines or milestones, which uh, allow you to be on track for where the, you want to go which might be an, a seemingly impossible goal. Okay, so having said that and being sidetracked 
into the world of uh, backward mapping, which I recommend getting into. I have set myself lots of deadlines and uh, this is the point where I came back refreshed and I started to try and crack on with this work and I found that other people and other situations meant that I couldn't actually achieve a lot of these deadlines in the time that I wanted to. Um, so some of my things like this podcast and uh, the, the kind of be your own radio uh, methodology, which, you know, I you know you kind of write them in your diary, that'll be done by then. Um, they're not done. And that's because, well, it's partly because they might have not been very realistic and I didn't do the back, backward mapping process in detail enough to make sure that I hit all these little mini milestones along the way and made the kind of work um, little bundles of work manageable and it's partly because of other people so there's been I don't want to name the people now obviously in this podcast but there's been other routes and avenues that I've been exploring to collaborate with which haven't worked out or people have taken a while to get back to me because of you know stuff that's gone on in their their work life which they can't control so that's a that's an aspect of a PhD that you have to build in and so when you're doing that backward mapping process you have to give yourself a lot of leeway and you also have to not beat yourself up if you're doing a PhD it's a it's a fair chance that you're a sort of nerdy geeky person who's been very good at meeting deadlines who's been very good at handing in very polished bits of work that get good good marks um, and that does apply to me and so when you you know set your own deadlines and then you fail to meet them it's kind of like a big alarm bell goes off in your head it's like I'm not being a good student you know this is not me I am a good student that's one of the aspects of my personality that I hold on to and I cherish um, you know and so you have to let go of that a little bit you know you are being a good student you are doing the work deadlines are flexible in postgrad life you know and that is the way they have to be and if they weren't that way then it wouldn't be a very good uh, situation for you or anybody else so moving for, I just wanted to say, uh, moving forward with this podcast, that um, obviously this first, uh, these first five or six of, have been basically about the theoretical. I'm moving now towards the practical aspect where once I get through my confirmation of route, which I'll probably talk about in the next episode because that'll be the build up to it, I'll be actually able to get on with the practice and this podcast hopefully will become more of a reflection on the practice and some of the knowledge that I'm actually getting. I think a lot of knowledge has come out of me just talking, um, basically talking to you on the microphone in your head, on the earbuds or however you're listening. And also, incredibly so, through the conversations that I've been having through with the um, practitioners, the community radio broadcasters, the podcasters. And I treat those, it's almost like a kind of mini um, exploratory seminar for me with you know people don't maybe don't come to it with that in their mind but for me I'm always learning when I'm doing these and I'm always getting something valid and useful out of it and um, it's and I think it that is the knowledge that's coming out of this reflective podcast at the moment to reflect on the reflection for a second so this episode I was very excited to talk to Dr Rob Watson who is a community media academic, uh, podcaster with Decentered Media, uh, former director of the Community Media Association, which is the body responsible for representing community radio in the UK. Um, he has a brilliant setup where he records podcasts around conferences and um, workshops and seminars around the country where he takes his little suitcase along with his Zoom recorder and his microphones and records podcasts all over the place. Highly recommend going to Decentered Media to listen to the many podcasts with 
incredibly important people in the in the world of community radio and podcasting to listen to community media i talked to dr rob watson about community media community radio the situation that it's in podcasting all sorts of things uh, this interview was recorded at the very beginning of the coronavirus uh, epidemic breakout so there might be some references to that in the interview Dr. Rob Watson is joining me today. Um, he's uh, got years of experience of uh, lecturing. He's uh, worked for years as well in the community media sector. He's uh, a director of the Community Media Association. He's also an experienced podcaster. Anything else you'd like to say about yourself, Rob? I was a director. I, I finished at the CMA uh, last year. Um, no, I think that kind of that, that sums it up, really. Just a, a jack of all trades, master of none, I think. But the reason uh, I, I wanted... I like to kind of dabble. Yeah. The reason I wanted to talk to you today was, be, well, you've kind of been a little bit of an inspiration to me. So um, I met you at, the, at a conference and I saw your podcasting uh, sort of method. And that was I, kind of like a light bulb went off in my head. Uh, or basically I thought I'll have to steal this. And so I've, I've been kind of buying all the kit that you've been using because it's a really good portable setup, which you take around and you just do podcasts wherever you happen to be either lecturing or doing workshops or at conferences. Yep. So, it, so would it's, you, do you want me to talk it through it? Yeah, if you could talk me talk to me a bit about that, yeah. It's, um, I mean, I, I, I use a Zoom record. I've, I've tried different methods over the years and I go back long enough to uh, remember trying to find the first digital recorders that you could use rather than tapes uh, and not really having any much much luck and they were very expensive so I've got a Marantz oh yeah sat there which which has kind of not been used for 10 years it cost me an arm and a leg at the time but um, you kind of now the, the technology is so uh, you know advanced you've really got a, ch a choice if you're doing things portably you can either use a a a, 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 a a USB plug-in uh, 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 box to uh, plug your mics in and things like that, or you can use a portable recorder that will record directly onto the uh, onto a sound uh, onto a, a, a smart card, uh, an SD card. Mm. So the one I use is the the Zoom H6, uh, which can have up to f uh, four Phantom Power inputs. Uh, and then you can add an extra two, uh, an externally powered mic. Uh, you can have two extra ex inputs to that as well. So you can have up to six people uh, sitting around. And, and rather than carry mic stands and, and uh, heavy microphones with me, I just use uh, clip-on lavier mics, uh, you know, kind of three metres and five metres in length. Um, and I just put them on. A, I had to put them on something because, you know, you can't sit and hold them for very long. And the thing I had to hand at the time were board marker pens. And actually, they work out really well because they're holding up, you know, they're big enough to grip and you don't get any handle and noise from them. So they just have a little, um, uh, 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 what, what do they call it? The, sh the uh, do you know, I'm lost for words today. <laughs> it's the... Uh, it's it, it's the, the the sound protector the the, the shaggy dog thing. Oh yeah, the dead cat. That's it. Yeah, and that just keeps it you know kind of plows of sounds. So the idea is is that you can actually be in quite a a, 
an, a, a noisy environment, relatively noisy environment. And because you can control the, the sound levels and you can get the microphones quite close to people, uh, then you can take the, the gain input level down quite a bit. And so the quality of the audio sounds good uh, and it isn't, doesn't get overpowered by the, uh, the background audio. So sometimes you see people doing a podcast where they'll just sit around a, a microphone, you know, kind of two or three people sat around one mic and it, it just picks up all the echoes in the room. Uh, and it, you, know, the, you, you can't really differentiate between who is speaking at any one time. Uh, but doing it this way, uh, it, it makes that difference. And the other crucial thing that I use, I just I managed to get hold of a. It, it, it's on off uh, Amazon, a, a little headphone amp which cost me about forty quid, uh, which will do. I think you can actually plug in about twelve um, uh, sets of headphones to it, so you can have people listening if not everybody takes part. But the headphones. And I've got some reasonably re reasonable studio headphones, uh, particularly the kind of designed for radio. Uh, but you can you can use fairly basic headphones as well. It doesn't make a difference. Um, and and that just changes the way that people interact. So there's a lot more focus on listening, uh, and a lot more folk. People don't talk over each other in the same way. Uh, so kind of as a, a you know what it's given me is the opportunity to to do some quite intimate. Um, conversations with people so you 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 you're drilling in you you know to use the phrase that's kind of everybody uses these days it's a bit of a deep dive yeah. uh, and you you'd get in a longer conversation out of things what i think is kind of genius about this setup is the is the fact that you've got these mics clipped on pens with this fluffy thing on and it's so non-intimidating um that it kind of draws people in and then people, you know, because you're not always talking to people who are technically minded or are used to talking into microphones. And so I found in the past when I have done multi-mic setups in that sort of environment, I've used, you know, I've either used, um, like you say, kind of a grouping people around mics or handheld mics and you get a lot of handling noise. Whereas with these, the people just kind of instantly drawn to them and like, oh, what's this little fluffy thing? And yeah. you can pass them around between each other and there's no handling noise or virtually none. And you and you and people just kind of are drawn into this experience. So I think it's really good. I mean, it's remarkable, you know, you know, over the last few years that the, the price of these things, I suppose it's the, you know, the Chinese manufacturers uh, can turn them out at a much lower cost than they were you know, five or 10 years ago. Uh, so they're accessible and, you know, the, the, these are, tend to be used in video production. But and they're, they're not, you know, designed really for, for radio production. Uh, but, you, you know, you, you just adapt and you kind of use what you've got to hand. And who can tell as long as you can hear what somebody's saying? Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it, it doesn't matter what the, what the way that you get there. It's just how... And, and I think you're right, you know, it's, it's that kind of putting people at ease is perhaps one of the... Uh, most significant ways of you know of drawing something interesting out of what people are thinking about. Yeah, I'm. I feel like I'm a great pragmatist, and I'm also. I also embrace uh, Henry Jenkins' idea of convergence culture. Of just sort of, for me, that means like using anything that's to hand. And I, I come from a background of being like a recording studio engineer, where and I had like a collection of Neumanns and all this incredibly expensive. Um, audio gear and I've kind of gone to the completely the other extreme now and I just believe that anything that gets the job done what's important is the content is the the piece of person speaking or the performance and I mean the the quality of our mobile phones these days our smartphones is just remarkable you know yeah you've only got it you know literally you've just got to step back you had to have 
you know, good quality mics, um, uh, you know, 10 years ago uh, and, and you were stuck to working in a studio or it would take you half a day to set up a, a mobile rig or something like that. Now, you know, you're walking around with it in your pocket um, and you can plug, I've got a little uh, Shaw mic which plugs into me my iPhone uh, and that does, you know, kind of, it does cracking quality recordings. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, the, it's it's just moving on so fast and so quickly and the kind of the standard, the level and the quality and the amount of data you can capture as well. So you're not worrying about things, you know, you can record for hours if you need to, uh, yeah. almost to the point where, you know, the, the, the challenge becomes um, actually introducing um, grit into, into into the wheel, if you like, because then uh, it slows you down a little bit so that you have to think about the kind of resources that you need. Uh, whereas if you can just do everything all the time, maybe you don't think about the quality as much as you should. Well, maybe this is a, a problem with the internet in general or digital technology, isn't it? Because I, as a, I guess we're around about a similar age, but I, I, around, when I was uh, growing up in the 80s, um, and none of this technology was available. If you told me there would have been recording studios you could carry in your pocket that you could instantly share what you recorded around the world, I, it would have blown my mind. I would have thought that everybody in the world would be, you know, recording their own version of Dark Side of the Moon. And uh, and that's not really happening to the extent that I would have thought it would as a teenager in the 80s. Um, I don't know what you think well, about that. Um I mean, there's a couple of things, really. It's, um, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, that's the other flip side of the convergence culture argument is that, you know, the, the kind of DIY creativity it has been corporately colonised yeah. and kind of, you know, the, 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 the level of expectation is that, you know, you, people just imitate what they see, I don't know, Ed Sheeran or, you know, kind of somebody, somebody used to be in One Direction doing. Um, but I think that'll only last for so long, really. Um because people have to discover something that's meaningful and there's always this urge and this impulse to create something for yourself. And sometimes now you look at things that have been produced and you think it is a corporate, you know, it's a big corporate job and actually it isn't. The people behind it are just very savvy and very clever. Um, but the other thing I think that's changed and it's really interesting at this moment, you know, we're kind of sitting here uh, talking over the internet with a really clear feed uh, and one of the things I've been monitoring over the last couple of days is community radio stations were in the middle of the, the, the coronavirus lockdown. And um, the number of stations now who are setting up a PC, a laptop, a mixing desk, a USB microphone, a pair of headphones in a bedroom so that you can keep the programming going without having to go into the studio. Now, again, you know, even just two or three years ago, uh, that wasn't really people weren't confident about that it was possible to do but it took a bit of organizing and know-how now you know everybody's got i had a meeting last night where i had 14 participants all on zoom um and the sound quality was passable uh you yeah. know to, to put out a, a discussion if you wanted to record it yeah um and it you know just that kind of the the, the those improvements the signal processing the availability of the you know the kind of you know the built-in quality of the uh, microphones that come in mobile devices now mm. uh, those kind of things are just you know kind of they're just making the job facilitating the job so much more but it comes down to kind of what kind of content are you going to produce uh, and the danger with you and I people like you and I is that we geek out on the process of wow you know kind of look at the way this works and you know we need to be stepping back from that a little bit and thinking, you know, actually it's not necessarily the quality 
uh, of the signal and the feed that matters. It's the it's what somebody's talking about, and it's the meaningfulness of the content that really matters. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm involved in community radio, as you know, as well. And um, so just yesterday, we, I recorded a a mental health show that I I have been developing <coughs> as, as a part of my PhD, and it had been like a we met physically. Um, and we did stuff in the studio, but because of the coronavirus situation, the, we we put together a, a show remotely. You know for, uh, about looking after mental health in this uh, lockdown, and so we, people were sending in WhatsApp messages. We used uh, WebRTC on the internet to do the links and so on. And actually, as you say, you know, you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference between that show some of it and the ones we do in the studio. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if there are many people who would be able to spot the difference, probably maybe you and I and sound engineers could, but the, the person in the street wouldn't even know that that wasn't done in a studio. Yeah. I, I was listening to radio three yesterday morning and uh, the, the nine o'clock, the program changes from the breakfast program to essential classics. I can't remember the presenter's name and he was doing it from his bedroom. There were a couple of dropouts, um, and I've never, you know, I've, when I've done this, I've had a couple of dropouts. It's there's a couple of things you can, you know, I'm advising people. I wrote a blog about this the other day. You know, in order to facilitate the quality of the feed, wear a pair of headphones because yeah. one of the great things that uh, Skype can do, for example, is it it cuts out that feedback, so people listen to it on a laptop or a tablet, and it, they use the inbuilt speakers and not headphones. But in order to maintain the integrity of that signal and reduce the echo that would otherwise happen, it processes that out. Uh, now, that's quite a, a, a sophisticated, uh, intensive thing for it to have to do. So you can just improve the quality of the audio signal by using a pair of headphones. You can still use the built-in mic. Um, you might be better if you can use an external mic that you can get a bit closer. So, you know, as we said before about reducing the, take the gain level down and reduce the noise, you know, the background sounds. Mm. Uh, it sounds a little bit more intimate uh, in that way. But other, otherwise, I mean, there's a picture uh, of this guy yesterday, Radio 3 presented with all of his duvets, you know, kind of hung up on the walls around him just to reduce, you know, the kind of background sounds. And actually, what's surprising is the number of people who until it's pointed out to them because of the way the human brain processes sound. Uh, and you'll probably be able to explain this to, 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 to me in more detail, but, you know, we, we zone out of all those background noises a lot of the time. So a lot of people don't notice traffic noise or reflected sounds, you know, in like a canteen. I, I cannot go into a pizza express because it's all ta it's all marble tabletops and sharp surfaces on the walls, ah, reflective okay. sur reflective, and I, my hearing just doesn't cope with it. Uh, I find it very, I find it really tiring to do that. So soft furnishings, you know, lots of angles in the room. Bookcases are good, so that the sound doesn't reflect directly back at you. And once you've got the, a couple of those kind of basic tips. Uh, kind of sort out you can actually have a reasonable I'm just in a uh, you know a, a front living room in a house uh, I don't think the sound particular the quality I don't worry about it too much because the trade-off is that I spend you know months and months uh, uh, thinking about the audio quality and soundproof in the room but if somebody drives past or somebody walks past chatting you're never gonna eliminate that but then that kind of gives it a, a feel of presence as well 
yeah. and we're used to listening to radio. I think it's an unfortunate thing, and maybe it's one of the things that's going to change, is that we're used to listening to radio as being in this hermetically sealed studio. And you know, people apologise, oh, you might hear the sound of the dogs barking or the birds in the street, and it's like, yeah, great. It sounds like you're actually somewhere, not just in a kind of bubble. Yeah. Uh, so our listening skills are probably going to, you know, hopefully they're going to change and our expectations are going to change as a result of this sudden break from the norm. Yeah, well, I hope, I mean, think a lot of things are going to change, aren't they, in this uh, or after this period that we've or we're going <coughs> through right now. Um, but what you're talking about there is acoustics and psychoacoustics. So, you know, the brain is a very complex and very uh, able computer, if you like which is able to filter out sounds and to kind of prioritise them in our brains, whereas a microphone is just purely a thing that takes what hits it and turns it into a either an electrical signal or, you know, a current. So that doesn't distinguish. So if, if there is traffic going past, the microphone just picks it up at the, same, at the level that the, the traffic is. And whereas a brain is quite able to go okay there's traffic over there i'll just filter that out and listen to the conversation that's in front of me um and that's a, so human beings are very you know able to do that sort of thing whereas microphones aren't basically um, it's, a, it's, I, a, it's a good analogy to our <laughs> you know how we how we operate in life what we felt what we were able to filter out yeah i mean yeah definitely well i mean we talked a little bit about kind of uh i guess technical aspects of podcasting broadcasting so I just wanted to talk to you a bit about maybe some of the whys, you know, why why podcasting, why community radio, what made you enter these fields? Gosh, um, I think podcasting uh, is kind of something, I've, you know, I, I've been teaching, around, I was teaching around this area in the late 90s, but it was, it's, you know, it kind of, it was a very niche thing, you know, the the... the, the I was talking about this with uh, Richard Berry the other week up at uh, Sunderland. And, um, you know, it wasn't really until, you know, the iPhone came in and the ability to synchronise your phone um, and your, or your portable device automatically with content. Before then, you had to manually sync your podcasts and your music into into you think now I, I just wake up in the morning and there's a dozen new podcasts waiting for me if I choose to listen to them yeah um but I think also what it is is there's it gives you a relaxation in terms of what you can do with them and what you can talk about so the podcasts I do I do them with uh, a friend John Costa uh, on a regular basis at the we're not doing them at the moment because we, you know, we, we can't get in <laughs> but uh, we, we do them and, it, and we always kind of say it's like a therapy session in a way mm. so it's like a, an extended conversation and afterwards you know do you feel better about that and that's really our objective it's like you you know, I, you, know you, you, you said about um uh, uh being a pragmatist well, william james uh the, mm. the kind of american great american uh, uh psychologists asked the question you know what is thinking and <clears throat> thinking is a kind of a process of enunciation you have to draw the words because we don't think in terms of language it crystallizes in language uh, and then we draw them out and we have to explain that to somebody else uh, and they have to correspond with what we're saying and get make see that as a kind of reference point for what they understand and then signal that back to us so we know that it makes sense uh, and it's so it's a kind of triangular relationship between the three and it it's so it's a gest thinking is a gesture uh, was his his argument, and 
you know, it's it's being able to verbalise and extend your thinking process. Uh, I think a podcast is really great for that. Uh, yeah. And I think there's there's a there's a, a number of podcasts. I think radio. One of the limitations of radio is. Certainly the model that we have in the UK is predominantly, I would say, personality focused. So it's about the projection of your persona. And that might be, uh, I want to try and do some work on this in terms of what archetypal personas might be for community radio. Uh, So you've got things, you know, you've got got the the everyman, you know, I'm I'm your friend. You know, that's a typical DJ trope, isn't it? Then you've got the information giver, the kind of authority figure uh, who controls and manages information. Then you've got the arbitrator. And there's probably all these, you know, kind of deep-rooted cultural archetypes that get played out uh, as being uh, within the deed. But they're, they're grouped together around in, in the UK, in, in the British model at the moment. They're kind of grouped around a narrow segment, sub-segment of that. Um, around entertainment and around information given, not around nurturing and facilitation or teaching. Uh, They tend to be, so it's not, you know, radio doesn't tend to be a discussion. Radio tends to be position taking. It kind of, you know, the model that we've got kind of, you know, puts people in these kind of um, uh, uh, paradigms or frameworks where they can only express themselves in a particular way and what i like about podcasting is nobody can tell you it's right or wrong and nobody forces you to listen to it you know so there's no there's no compulsion and i used to get frustrated i think one of the reasons i kind of ended up stop teaching radio specifically uh was because too many people would tell me that's not how it's done. Radio 1 doesn't do it like this, or Radio mm. 2 doesn't do it like this. And I used to get to the point where I was like, well, I really don't give a damn what yeah. those stations do. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's what do you want to do? What can you say and argue for yourself? So for me, the kind of community media elements of this is that voice empowerment. It's that ability to be able mm. to find a a way of approaching a topic or a discussion or collaboration with other people to express and explore something which comes from them rather than them imitating a style that they've heard on a major yeah. kind of corporate organ, you know, organised form of media. Definitely. Uh, this is really interesting for me to hear because like, <clears throat> I trained 100 plus people to do radio shows on community radio and... Um, but, you know, what I find, mo- I spend, you know, the technology is super easy, as you know. Anyone can learn how to use a mixing desk and a microphone and a playout system. But I spend most of my try- time trying to tell people um, either to kind of dissuade them from trying to sound like a show that they want to or they listen to or just uh, like giving them the permission, which they don't need from me, to do whatever the hell they like with the format you know they're always looking to me as like oh, what do, what what should i do in this radio show and for me the most interesting stuff that i've encountered over the years has been from people who come to it with few preconceptions or who are willing to put themselves into that so you you have shows where people don't try and sound like commercial radio don't try and sound like the bbc they just come to it with their own personality and and do something with it. You know, that's for me. That's what's exciting about community radio is this is that DIY aspect of you. Can, you know, you can a bit like podcasting. 
But what you say about voice is for me what community radio has over podcasting. You know, podcasting has over community radio that it's there's no gatekeepers. Um, <clears throat> it's you know free in terms of format and structure. You can be five minutes long. It can be twelve hours long. But what community radio has over podcasting for me is that voice empowerment to a, usually a geographical connection to your neighbours. So, and in, at times like this, that's incredibly powerful. I think. Um, I'd be interested to hear what you think about that. Very, very much so. Um, I think the the accountability uh, to people in person uh, is something that social media doesn't you know, enable. You, know, you mm. put your it's like putting your head out the window and shouting into the street. Social media and expecting to hear an echo or a response. Whereas community radio and community media has that built-in level of accountability that you're doing it not just for yourself. But you're part of, uh, first of all, a community of people who are doing something to make something that feels good for them, and that's great. You know, the kind of the the, the I know we've you know we we, we you know we've moaned in the past about you know kind of guys with with uh, with record collections coming on and doing their own kind of style of John yeah. Peel esque type programs, which is you know it's fantastic. That makes people feel good, and we should cherish that and nurture it uh, because it, it's it's something that somebody can invest in creative investment in that and if other people happen to like it that's great as well uh, but there's an, an extra extension to that is if all you're doing is just thinking about yourself and you're not really connected and looking around to to, to listen to other people's concerns and needs uh, and taking responsibility for somehow playing a facilitating role within that that's the power of community radio because that's when it's embedded within a neighbourhood or a network of people mm. who've got similar backgrounds, that kind of stuff. And I think so, at the moment, you know, we're, we're going through this massive stage at the moment of information giving. You know, everybody's being marshaled, quite literally. You know, I'm, I don't mean that figuratively, but it's martial law, effectively, at the moment. Mm, You're yeah. in lockdown for the, you know, for the greater good. Um, but at some point, people are going to want to go, hang on a minute, you know, <laughs> kind of what's our response to this? Yeah. Where do we come into this? Where do we fit in with this? Um, and there'll be a number of people saying, you know, what's our voice within this as well? Where do we fit in? Yeah, definitely. And I think, well, you've kind of given me some clues there, but can I ask you the explicit question? Because I've got some views on this. And since you're no longer a, a director of the Community Media Association, maybe you can be <coughs> a, bit, a bit more uh, honest. Um what do you think about the content of community radio in the UK? I think it's, um, let me put it this way, being, I, I think it lacks investment in all the things that we've just been talking about, in expectations uh, a lot of the time. I think it gets by, um, and I think it gets by on the whole by imitating um, because it's safe, because you know what you're going to do. But there's great examples out there of people who, uh, do push the boundaries and do um, uh, really want to make a difference with what they do. And I don't question the um, I don't question the the ideals and the motivations behind people who get involved because you're not drawn to community media and community radio to make money. Uh, okay, there might be an ego trip there for some people, but that's you know that's fairly limited uh, to to some extent. 
but it's part of you know it's it, it's it shows where we're broken as a society i think if that is a, i always use this phrase if your cultural expectations are you know on, on a saturday afternoon what you do with yourself you go to primark or you go to john lewis if that's all you can do if that's the only only options that you've got uh, then our, our society is really impoverished because there should be a whole load of other options and other enrichment activities that we think we, we, we engage in. Um, I mean, in Leicester, we've got one bookshop. Um, you know, our, our theatre is pretty, uh, you know, it's well organised, but it's run along very narrow lines. Culturally, it's a difficult city to, to, to establish things and get things going. We've been dominated by pub culture and convenience culture and you know kind of car culture and all these things are going to have to change and people are going to have to start sitting down and going well what is it we you know, what are the old ten it's the, it's time again for the what if questions to come forward uh, and to say is there a different way of us doing this and the same i think uh, is is true of our media in terms of you know, we have a kind of convenient culture for our media. So we've seen consolidation in local radio where big international conglomerates stop producing local content, stop being reactive to local needs, uh, are just churning out a, a marketing, a mass marketing approach to a, a, a very efficiently organised uh, top-down uh, kind of model of, uh, of public engagement and communications in order to make and maximise profits. Um, and the problem with that is everybody, you know, then you don't have anywhere to go for local expression, for local information. And that's where community radio really can shine. But the problem is we haven't put the investment in. And trying to get into government departments, I mean, I, I, you, you know, I, I did a report and I shared that with you last year mm. with uh, Internews. <clears throat> and... Trying to make the case really that actually that the, the thinking about community media is thinking about it. It's got to be seen not as part of the media industries, but as part of the uh, civic, the social sector, civic society, charities, uh, community organisations, not for profits, voluntary groups, mutuals. That's the social economy that I think community media needs to be recognised in. But when you read any of the reports and you see all the great, you know, some fantastic reports have been out over the last couple of years. New Economics Foundation, Civic Society Futures, Good Things Foundation. Community media isn't mentioned in any of them. The government's uh, uh, response to civic society and the loneliness strategy didn't mention radio. And yet radio, for people over 55, 60 years old, is one of the most cherished mediums for companionship. But there's no strategy to enable that and promote that and develop that. And so what you've ended up with is a kind of very narrow, uh, distant model of mass communications, which is tends to be focused and run in London, um, although not always, but tends to be. And it serves a very narrow economic and political purpose. And what it doesn't have is deep roots in local communities and neighbourhoods. So, you know, when something like this happens, at the moment I'm trying to bang the drum a bit in Leicester uh, on behalf of some of the community radio stations here or all of the community radio stations here to make sure that we're included in the civil society response and the public authority response. Um, people are, you know, 
organisations are paying attention to very important issues at the moment, and I certainly don't detract from that. But because we've not had the long-term investment and support and recognition for community radio, now when push comes to shove, it's very patchy. So if you're trying to get public health information out of a local uh, health or health service, health authority, they tend to say, well, we deal with the BBC and we publish online social media marketing campaigns. Um, at some point, somebody's going to have to say, well, once those initial messages have gone, you know, have been processed through, we need to start widening the net and start to get into those pockets of communities. I mean, in, in Leicester, I think Leicester has one of the highest, if not the highest, certainly in the region, it has the highest uh, number of people who don't speak English as a first language. Um, and so you've got Polish, uh, Gujarati, you've got um, uh, Turkish people, you've got um, uh, Korean, you've got Chinese, you've got, I mean, it's just, you know, Brazilian, it's just this, and, and where can people get information other than going online? Uh, and then you've got run the risk of kind of fake news. Where do people are facilitated with information that's you know directed at them, but made by people from their own communities? And I think it's be you know this is gonna you know it's either gonna be a tipping point for community media in terms of saying yeah we really do need to embed this into our civic society planning. Or it's going to be a case of going, well, you know, we just give up and, uh, you know, we kind of the few of us that are, are, are keep banging the drum, I'll get, you know, we'll, we'll say, well, we're never, going to, we're never going to achieve any kind of critical mass with this because nobody's really interested. Uh, but everybody I've, I know who is uh, passionate about community media, uh, and I always use media in the broad term. I include radio, forms of newspapers, any anything which is you know kind of anything which is open to people making their own contribution to it and having a say in how it's run, whatever the form of media is. You know, it, it, it's there's lots of Facebook groups have sprung up. Um, is that community media? Well, yeah, but it's not being recognised for that. So people can do it and they can do it spontaneously. There's just not official support for it. And it's seen as being amateur or it's seen as being peripheral or it's seen as being so specialist that it does, you know, it's not relevant to the mainstream. Uh, and I think we, you know, we have to very quickly try and change some attitudes and say, no, this is a, 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 a really important part of the civic society response. And if we can't get charities and civic organisations on board to support that, uh, then we're not going to convince other people as well. So probably the answers for this will come locally and there'll be some good local examples of how it's worked. At the moment, it feels, you know, kind of nationally as we're being left to, to some extent, to fend for ourselves. Do you think the government actually has a strategy for, well, for radio? <coughs> Or community radio, or or is it? Because by default, it seems like it's allowing local commercial radio to lose its local aspect and community radio to expand its broadcast areas and go on to DAB. It seems like it's kind of allowing community radio to take over that local commercial radio role by default. But is that a strategy or just a? No, just... that's 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 a uh, uh, con, um, and it's it's a con because. The marketization approach uh, seems to win out all the time, and there's a review 
Um, the, the you know the BBC have published a review. Was it the BBC? Yeah, pub- the review of radio, uh, and community radio hasn't been included in that. You know, it's it's the Society of Motor Manufacturers, Bauer, Global, the BBC. Um, they're included, but the community radio, the civic c- civic society sector, you know, uh, people interested in issues of civic democracy and civic participation, people who, organisations that have to pick up the pieces and kind of try and piece back and, and, and retain some sense of community engagement and solid social solidarity aren't included in this conversation and discussion. Local, locally democratically elected leaders in local authorities aren't included in this conversation. And yet, it's, so it's, it's, it's seen as the mindset, the policy in government is to see media purely in market terms uh, because it makes a lot of money. You know, there's the it it it's a it's a it lays it's a goose that lays the golden egg. You know, there's 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 a shortage of skills for the film industry. So pump priming, you know, the manufacture of uh, series for Netflix gets everybody's attention. You know, the little newspaper in a village or or a town that gets gobbled up by a, a, a conglomerate, you know, a kind of large organisation, then closed down and, you know, kind of it's only made, they're only showing pictures of, you know, from Google Street View um, in, in in their stories, you know, kind of doesn't seem uh, sexy uh, for, for policymakers. And there's, a, there's an over-focus on digital engagement as well. I'm all for digital engagement, but don't fetishise it. You know, policymakers. If you put in an application, I've done a number of applications for projects and and uh, kind of bids for funding. And you know, if you talk about radio and you talk about the basic levels of media literacy and skills and engagement and voice empowerment, it goes nowhere because it doesn't seem it's not going to get that funding manager a job with another organization that is promoting digital engagement and all the government policies are focused on digital engagement at the expense of social engagement um, and I think we you know we we need to be making the case that it, it returns back to thinking you know one a hundred percent digital if anybody says you know hundred percent digital engagement one is unrealistic but two, I think it's you know it it goes against our civic liberties. You know, you, you, if you don't want to be digitally engaged, you shouldn't have to be. And the state needs to make enough provision to ensure that you've got access to public services without being forced and coerced to use digital platforms. Even if you're perfectly capable of doing that, if you choose not to, you don't have to. Uh, but then the other one is the um, is 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 the kind of knee-jerk response that being digital is uh, the answer to everything um, but it's not you know we, we've got to be a bit more imaginative about how we engage with people and at least with radio it's a tried and tested mechanism and at least with radio it's got a low input requirement it doesn't have to be expensive it doesn't have to be sophisticated it doesn't have to involve lots of complex processes and clearances and things like that it just needs some basic underpinnings and then pretty much anybody can do it um and so so you know we we can throw the baby out with the bathwater. yeah i think what we're all learning i think uh, as part of this thing we're going through because we've all been forced to, to turn to digital platforms is, I don't know about you, but I can say for myself, I'm massively missing that kind of physical aspect of 
day-to-day life of being with people in the same room you know of you know touching people (laughs) for want of a better term you know which so human beings need that um that human to human contact and this is one of the things as well that's come out through the the outreach work i do is it's okay i am using technology i'm using webrtc i'm using the internet i'm using digital audio but none of this would happen if it wasn't for me a human being going to other human beings and saying do some radio you do a podcast you know that we're never going to lose that. That's always something we're going to need. And whether it's through an analog medium like uh, an analog mixing desk to an FM transmitter or whether it's, you know, purely digital <clears throat> on the Internet, the human being is the thing that makes that thing what it is. Um, and it's interesting to see that the, the figures coming out that podcasting is taking a little dip and radio has taken a little boost during this period because people are switching from podcasting or they're not pod- listening to podcasting as much as they do to the radio and and there's something you know to be said and and retained about that liveness and that up-to-dateness mm. and that kind of uh, i think the danger is you might get hooked on the breaking news cycle yeah. um that that kind of thing can be a, a challenge uh, and as long as i think it's meaningful engagement and it's carefully considered and not exploitative uh, then you know that's it, it, it's 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 what we should be doing. You know we should be coming together to listen to. You know that's why the BBC's role is so important. And in a way, this is a wake up call for the BBC as well because uh, perhaps uh, they got a little bit complacent. Um, you know in the past about about their role, but you know the kind of the 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 battening down the hatches that they've had to do now has forced them to really think through what are the, what are what are our priorities you know it's it's what is our role within uh, society uh, and as a backstop it's one of those services which we we absolutely need like the NHS because uh, it it keeps us you know it gives us our social cohesion mm. however <clears throat> there are all these other things uh, that are ancillary to it as well that people are free to choose and explore um and so you will see dips and you know streaming listening to music online has dipped um but it'll you know it'll, it'll come back again and but the, the flip side of it you know the the kind of conversations that you can have like this and mm. with other people and being able to keep in touch with your family so my mum is in lockdown uh but me and my sisters met with her on skype and had a skype chat uh, on Mother's Day, and you know that was okay. Yeah, you know, is it as meaningful as meeting in person? Well, it was pretty good uh, given the circumstances, um, and, and we're thinking about you know how can we use it creatively, you know, and, and putting the challenge out to people to. Sh- I think this is the next stage really that I'd really like to see for community radio and community media is what are the creative ways that we're responding to this? You know, let's let's. I'm really good at digging around for all the problems and of of late i've always started to try and ask the question you know you know what's the positive response to this you know what where where does the creativity come from where are people using these uh, uh it's not just about information about the latest tally of people who've died as important as that is it's also about listening to somebody's poems or somebody's song or somebody's music, or somebody's story, or whatever it is that people want choose to, to to creatively engage in, in whatever form of media is, that's kind of really that's where you'll find the positive expression if you can enable that creative input to things. Oh yeah, definitely. <clears throat> so 
if I can change the subject slightly, I think I started this podcast as like it was meant to be a reflection on uh, my journey through the PhD. And it's through the conversations I've had with people, I find that every time my my thinking's moving forward and, it, and it's actually probably one of the most important research tools I have, you know, just as important as, as sitting and reading papers or books. And, and I just wondered if you get a similar sort of... Um, you know, enlightening uh, experience through doing your podcast, which you got like 66, 67 of now, I noticed on your website. Yeah, Media. something like that. I, I, I don't keep track of who listens. What I do enjoy is when somebody says that they do listen, but it's not about, I've never checked, you know, I, I might have once or twice checked the numbers, but I've, I couldn't tell you if anybody listens or not. But it's nice when you walk into a room and somebody says, oh, yeah, yeah, I do listen. So, you know, I don't really do it on that basis. I think it, it would just detract from what you're mm. trying to do, really, because you're then trying to think of, well, what does the audience want out of this? And then you'd be second guessing people. And, and I don't think it would be a spontaneous thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I am challenged at the moment. I've got a couple of books, really good books that I'm really enthusiastic about. And I need to switch off my social media. So for a few days so I can calm down a bit, go for some solitary walks, distant from people, listen to some music and reconnect back to that kind of important things. But in terms of podcast, I'm, I'm listening to uh, 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 Speaking of Young by uh, Laura London, which is an American podcast where she talks with uh, Jungian analysts. And I'm learning so much from it. I mean, I messaged her the other day uh, and just said, you know, kind of the pot, it was so pertinent, the particular discussion that was happening at the time. Uh, that it was so what was being talked about can be applied and was so relevant to our present circumstances uh, and it was something that the message was something like you know most people really don't want to deal with the problems of life you just want to put your head in the back underneath the pillow uh, but actually at some point people have got to show up and go we can change this it's like us you know, doing podcasts or turning up at the community radio station and going come on is this just me or does somebody else feel that we need to do something? And what the argument was, I can't remember, uh, uh, Jay Gary Sparks, I think, was the guy that she was interviewing. And he said, you know, it's it's you do this kind of deep dive into reflection. And certainly if you're an academic and you're studying something like a PhD, you kind of have to cut yourself off from everybody, from your networks, from your family. And you have to do this really deep, thoughtful dive. And when it's over, you come back into society as a kind of changed person. And you're kind of saying, I, it doesn't seem the same to me. I can't participate in it in the same way. And hang on a minute. Why is everybody running around like this? What if we do it? You know, so you feel as if to some extent that you're a bit of a lone voice. <laughs> and, yeah. and, but he said, that's part of the process. That's what happens. And hearing that and hearing that being discussed in the podcast, because I don't know any other Jungian uh, community in Leicester. This is something I've followed through my own interest. It's actually something that came out of my PhD. I got into uh, the kind of the step was thinking of look at looking at kind of Myers Briggs typology, which I kind of mentioned a bit earlier, um, and kind of then thinking, hang on a minute, there is actually something in this, and the idea that these aren't social patterns, these aren't behaviours that have, are new. They they've happened many many times you know the stories are retold there are these deep resonances between and within our cultures and our communities about the way we respond to things and look at things and you know it's it brings all of these things to the fore but we need the space to discuss them and to explore them and to 
you know, kind of ask questions about them and to learn from each other and to, to, to support those people who've done that deep dive into something and what we can learn from them and vice versa. And it's kind of, you know, as we become, uh, I mean, there's a model of uh, <coughs> called metamodernism, which is uh, one of the things that I've kind of uh, uh, read about over the last couple of years. Uh, and particularly I'm reading the halfway through uh, Hansi Freinach's book, which is his second book. I've got it in front of me. That's why I can see it. It's called The Nordic Ideolo uh, Ideology. And his first book was called uh, The Listening Society. And it talks about the need to change the basics of our social approach and that we need to become more attuned to listening and understanding one another uh, than um, this kind of um, transactional model of society or this linear model of society that you, you know, you kind of get, you gain benefits by uh, owning things, by having things, by uh, uh, possessing things. And, you know, there's, there's, it reintroduces an idea, uses a phrase after the deconstruction must come the reconstruction. Uh, so the you know we we have the analysis you know kind of things like postmodernism tell us what the um, the terms are of what's wrong with our society colonialism imperialism uh, patriarchy uh, capitalism okay that's we, we've identified what's wrong with that but what are we going to put in its place and that for me it has echoes with with pragmatism uh, as you know kind of John, John Dewey and William James and Richard Rorty. Uh, which is really where I'm informed from, uh, from a kind of theoretical point of view. And then I drifted into, not drifted, but uh, 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 symbolic interactionism, uh, which is, um, oh, what a time for the name of the, uh, the, the, the key thinkers to go off the top of your head. Uh, I'll remember it in a bit. <laughs> but the, the whole idea that, you know, we construct a meaningful life. Uh, and this is this is what drew me into thinking about finding out more about Jung, um, mm. because it's you know we we I, I I used a phrase in my the end of my PhD which I wish I could correct now actually which was that we're goal driven, um, and we're not, we're meaning driven, and what we have to do is we have to provide a space and the capacity within society and the uh, the, the the structure within society where we continue to ask that question of what is meaningful about our experience. Uh, and I would suggest that community radio has and community media has, is one of those building blocks to be able to do that because it's not controlled by other people. It's not controlled by other interests. It's controlled by people working in small communities for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really been fascinating talking to you, Rob. Can I ask, because I assume you're going to do the, continue your podcasting uh, but what else is in the future for Dr. Rob Watson? Gosh, that's a very good question. I've no idea at the moment. I'm just, uh, uh, the last couple of jobs that I've had have been cancelled. So uh, actually signing on at the moment is uh, is, is a very real thing, uh, along with a lot of other freelancers. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's uh, I, I'm just going to try and build up uh, the kind of independent consultancy work that I'm doing. Uh, and try and build up a kind of coherent uh, model uh, of it, an explanation about it, um, and see where that fits really. Maybe, you know, one of the things about a crisis is it's also a set of opportunities, and maybe there's an opportunity to 
to demonstrate to people the value uh, and and the, the 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 purpose of community media as a participatory uh, 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 approach, uh, not just to uh, media and communications, but to community development and social cohesion uh, and personal well-being, those kind of things. Uh, so, don't know is the answer. Okay. Well, what about if I phrase it another way? What about what would you like to be doing in the future? What would be your dream? Um, now that's a very good question. Um, I, I think, do you know what? Writing podcasts, uh, some some chats, some ad- advising. I, 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 I think what we need is um, we we need a group. We need a uh, to build an army. This is oh, that sounds really bad to say it like that. We need to build an army of community reporters. Uh, but we need, you know, we need people to come on board with the idea that um, if you want, yeah, you know, I used to use the phrase, if you want better media, you've got to make it yourself, and you kind of have to roll your sleeves up to do that. Um, so being asked to contribute to that would be satisfying for me, uh, and so it, which is why it's very nice to be given the opportunity to waffle on in a podcast like this it's uh it's it's actually it's usually i'm the one asking the question yeah i was so going to, to ask get, what's it like having the, ter- the tables turned on you and actually being the one interviewed um well i kind of have to think about what i'm saying a bit more um and i'm so used to listening um to you know and i find that you know that's a re- incredibly useful skill uh, mm. to have developed um but uh, sometimes you feel as if you, your own ideas get a little bit bottlenecked, if you like. So uh, what I'm trying to do at the moment is, while I've got the time, is to maybe try and get, even if it's just a blog post every other day, is to sit down and write something or, uh, which connects with uh, you know what, what's happening. Uh, and to, even if it comes across as flag-waving and making statements. And I think the, the, the main uh, challenge, really, is to not worry what other people think uh, and to say what it is that you're thinking about and that you're feeling uh, and draw on your intuition about these things and try and express it in whatever way you can. And then following that, hopefully people will start to go, well, there's, there's maybe something in that. You know, it's uh, it's not all, uh, you know, microwave ready meals. <laughs> you know, you can, there's a cuisine that we can invest in uh, at some point. This is what would you be at your advice to somebody who was starting out in podcasting? You know, <coughs> would you say go for it? You know, just make it. Yeah, just make your own mistakes. Just right. don't, don't. You know, you can't afford lawyers, so don't libel or slander anybody. Um, don't swear gratuitously, uh, but be yourself. And you know, other than other than the kind of practical tips, there was a, there's a guy in Leicester, Dave Needham, who's a, who's been on a couple of the podcasts in the past, and he's amazing. Uh, he has muscular dystrophy, so he's in a wheelchair. And one of the podcasts we invite, John and I, uh, John invited him to, to take part in. He said, oh, I'm not going to talk. I'm really not going to talk. Oh, no, no, I'm not wearing the headphones. I'm not putting the headphones up. We couldn't shut him up <laughs> because he just had, to, you know, that's that when you get those moments. Mm. Uh, one of the, the moments I remember with kind of training people on an RSL uh, for community radio uh, that we ran for a couple of weeks was... Uh, this this woman, young woman, just terrified before she. We've done lots of training with them. Lots terrified before she went into the studio to do a show. 
the hour was over. She comes out. She was six foot tall, beaming from ear to ear. And it's yeah. those moments that you kind of, you know, that you, you have to hold on to that, that, that view that you, you know, it's about that kind of personal empowerment for people who wouldn't normally get the opportunity to contribute. Uh, there's enough people out there who are good at pushing themselves to the front of the queue to tell everybody how great they are. There's not that many people who sit back and listen and wait you know, and look for the signs that there's somebody who's maybe a bit quieter and a, a, a bit less forthcoming, a few, a few people behind. They're the ones that you've got to tune into because they're the ones with something interesting to say. That's definitely who I... I'm seeking to find with my research and that what you've just said there really relates to a, a story I've got when I was in community radio which was we had, we had an induction day and um, there were like nine or ten people turned up and one of them was a guy in a wheelchair and his carer and his carer spoke for him and said he doesn't want to speak today he doesn't want to speak on the radio but he's really into his music and he'd like to have a show but all he wants to do is play the music and not speak and so then, like, fast forward uh, six months down the line, and I'm in, like, driving around listening to his show, and not only is he speaking, yeah. but, you know, he's giving death metal growls and shout-outs to his friends. And I got a letter from his mum saying, you know, he's come out of himself not only, because, you know, on the radio, but in terms of speaking to his friends and his family. And it's those are the things that keep me in community radio, because there are a lot of things that would drive me away, to be honest. But yeah. those moments really do keep you involved. Well, I think anywhere, you know, my general advice is be prepared to be rubbish. Um, mm. Because if you're not, you know, you, you know, you've got to learn, you've got to start somewhere. And if you're any, the people around you are unforgiving and if they have particular standards of how it should be done, then you need to find, you know, you need to find a different group of people because I like the kind of environment where somebody goes, and this is what I think I'm drawn to uh, through the podcasts, which is really, you know, helpful is that those people who go, well, what if we do it like this? You know, what if we try it like this? What if we, what if this person speaks? You know, what if we're doing it? You know, why, why do you need to do it like everybody else is doing it? But, you know, there's, there's a kind of sense of security that comes from imitation mm. and copying and being part of the, 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 the standard process. Uh, but that's not necessarily where it's interesting. That's not necessarily, that I don't find it kind of like an authentic, um, uh experience i mean i'll use a use a phrase it doesn't speak to my soul you know yeah. it kind of i could train a whole load of robots to churn out what yeah. radio was like in the 1980s or 1990s you know that'd be really easy to do but i wouldn't mean any of it yeah. and i wouldn't care about any of it and what you want is those couple of people who say well actually you know what this is what i care about this is what i care for I think is the important distinction, mm. uh, you know, and if, if we can enable people and recognize and reward and encourage people a lot to communicate on the basis of what they care for, not just what they care about, a load of people on social media telling us what they care about, uh, yeah. but what they actually care for, then we'll be in a different position. It'd be a different way of measuring and understanding what the value is, what the social value of community, community media actually brings. Well, Rob, I could probably speak to you for another couple of hours, but I'd better let you go. <coughs> so you. <laughs> I'll just finish and say, well, thank you very much for speaking to me. Uh, it's been a pleasure and thank you very much. No, it's been great. Thank you very much for the time. So it's, uh, I've really enjoyed it.
Many thanks for listening to PhD Casting. Uh, next episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Sherisade Garcia Rangel of On the Hill Podcast. <laughs>